0: I want to greet you in Christ's name this morning. It really is a privilege for me and my family to be here with you here in southern Minnesota and visiting fellow Minnesotans. I would uh, say that metaphorically, I would like to hide behind a cross here this morning. Uh, However, um, I I am a personality, and uh, preaching is the delivery of God's truth through a personality, and I just can't hide that I'm standing up front in front of you today. Um, but I do trust that we can see some of who the Lord is today in the message I want to bring to you. But um, I um, do count it a privilege to be here to visit. Um, I've heard about Prairie Church for quite a while. I know a number of you. And um, my wife, uh, Laurel, spent uh, a share of her lifetime over here at Maranatha Bible School, unbeknownst to me, before I knew who she was and I've uh, been there several times at uh, Maranatha and um, a number of you uh, work together with people in our congregation on uh, search and rescue and uh, rapid response so we appreciate that work and we also appreciate you sharing Dwight with us here a little over a year ago he was at our congregation for meetings and so we we're blessed by that visit. Um, I do have my wife with me Laurel and our three youngest children the uh, three older ones I uh, just moved out in the last half year. We are going through a, uh, change. My daughter got married in, in, uh, end of July and, uh, my son Winston is serving out at Faith Mission Home and my other son Kenlin is down at Bible School in Arkansas. So all of a sudden we have shrunk. <clears throat> but that opens up other opportunities. So for a message today, I was blessed by singing that first opening song, the song later led for us. Crown Him with Many Crowns started off a good theme for me. And then Brother Ellis, as he prayed, he listed off a number of names that identify our God. Um, if I had a few of them jotted down here, he mentioned Lord, Redeemer, Lamb of God, Savior, and Jesus. This message here, I'd like to focus on another title of our God, and if you'll just listen as I read to you a number of verses without giving references. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you, I pray, the Lord is enthroned as king forever. How awesome is the Lord most high, the great king over all the earth. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over all the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. O king of the nations, the Lord, the king of Israel is with you. The Lord will be king over all the earth. The Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. You, O God, are my king from old. Shout for joy before the king. I will exalt you, my God, the king. I will praise your name forever and ever. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal king. So, I want to think with you for a while about the king. The name of God is king. So to define the king, um, there would be other terms that would come to our minds. Other words that would define a king as a monarch, as a sovereign, as a ruler or a czar, royalty, and majestic. Probably one of the best definitions for a biblical definition for our king would be found in Colossians chapter 1. If you care to turn there, I'd like to read those verses. Several verses there, 15 through 20. About the best definition. And doesn't even mention the name of king, but <clears throat> I think it's a definition. Colossians chapter 1 beginning in verse 15. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we think about you as our king, and the Lord Jesus as our king, would you help us, Lord, to grasp more fully this understanding of your kingship? Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you pick through this passage of Scripture, you're going to identify a number of, of, of uh, titles or descriptions of uh, our King Jesus, just to name them. He was the invisible God as he walked the face of this earth. He was the firstborn, begotten first. He, he has, he's the creator of thrones of dominions, of principalities, of powers. All things were created for Him. Sounds like a king to me. Everything is sustained by Him. That's what kings do. He's the head of the church. Yeah, that's what kings are. They're they're the head. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn of the dead. He's the resurrected. He has the preeminence over everything. He's superior. That fits kingship. And it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. Uh, I'm not prepared to go into that. There was a preacher in the 19th century in Scandinavia who was in the vestry one Sunday morning. And he heard that the king was going to be present at worship. And so, understandably, he was rather rattled. And he ditched his well-prepared sermon. And instead, he spoke on and on about the Christian virtues of the king. Even though the king said nothing following the service, the preacher couldn't help but wonder what kind of reward he would receive for his royal support. Well, sure enough, not long after, a large crate appeared and was delivered to the church. And immediately the priest concluded that his reward had arrived indeed. so he pried open the crate to find inside a life-size crucifix. And he could hardly contain his disappointment, thinking, we've got lots of crucifixes, why do we need another one? But as he looked in the crate, he saw a royal letter under the royal seal. And excitedly, he opened it. And the letter contained the king's instructions as to the placement of the crucifix in the church. And it was to go on the western wall of the church so that the preacher would always be reminded of which king he was speaking of. Now, even though uh, I I have some theological problems with this uh, story, um, however, we need to be aware of which king makes the biggest impression on us. So what does it mean? what does it mean that jehovah is your so living in a country where we uh we don't have a king it becomes a bit more difficult for us to understand the concept of king so democracy and the concept of king there's a there's a big difference in the american democracy to great britain where the american democracy rejected the idea of a king and the founding fathers of america were very careful to keep the president from having absolute king's powers. So he was elected with a definite term and could be removed if necessary. The people are in charge. And so it becomes difficult for, I think, we as Americans to relate to an absolute monarch uh, whose word is law and beyond which there is no appeal. We simply have difficulty grasping the concept of a king. Americans are fiercely independent and resist anything that diminishes their freedoms, which is becoming more prevalent as the days go on. So, is this why that Americans have a bit of difficulty accepting the kingship of Jesus and His kingdom, the kingdom of God, and to come under His lordship, His rule, and submit to the laws of His kingdom, I'm just asking. If God's Messiah, Jesus, then is not your king, I ask a question, can He be your Savior? Can He? If life is about doing your own thing rather than seeking the will of God, what becomes of our faith? So I, I think either Jehovah is your king or he is not. Jesus said it fairly clearly, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So our family spent a year in in asia in thailand actually and um in america we are used to people poking fun at our leaders um and those in authority and ridiculing them if they see fit but in thailand it's different if there is it if you denounce the monarch if you denounce the king uh that is a uh, Well, we'll put it this way. Now those Thais have utmost respect for their monarchy, or at least they did. When we were there, we were told that when upon arriving, you shall not step on currency, because on the Thai bot, there's a picture of the king. And, uh, that's, that was it, that would be illegal. In fact, it would be a good way to get expelled from the country. In some parts of Thailand, and we experience this every day between 8 and 6 p.m. At least I remember one time that we saw it happen where we were. There is a, out of nowhere, the loudspeakers come on and everyone comes to a standstill, regardless of where they are. And they stop and listen to the national anthem. They stand still for the duration. And even tourists are expected to stop and pay homage to the king. And we would see pictures of the king posted on billboards and on on the storefronts and in the stores. This picture was all over. But this king, um, we left there in 2014. This king died in October of 2016. And his death took a toll on the people. They really respected this king. Crowds of people gathered outside the hospital. They wore pink there hope to bring him good health, but this is death of this powerful monarch was mourned and in the country for an entire year. People wore black, and there was no celebrations for a full month. No celebrations allowed at all. Well, this king was really respected because of, um, and I won't go into all of it, but he was really respected for his work for the Thai people. Uh, of, uh, of uh, paying attention to the lower classes. But um, if you look up Thailand today, the, the, his son is a whole other story. He's um, He lives a ruthless life. He lives in Germany. He doesn't even live there. On his third woman, five children with various women. He loves to drive fast cars and has tattoos all over his body. Just a whole other picture. However, it's still a crime. If you, um, and punishable by 15 years in prison if you insult the king. So that gives us a little perspective of how some would view a king, a monarch. Oh, that's foreign to us. But perhaps it can help us who live in America to understand the concept of king is not elected, and have an ultimate authority. But as God's people, we understand who the King of Kings is. Who is the King of Kings? And his dominion is unfolding in our world every day. And will unfold until the future judgment. To turn with me to Revelation chapter 19, we'll get another picture of the king. Revelation chapter 19. I want to read verses 9 through 17 here. And as we read through this um, passage, I want you to watch for four... Four names of our king as we read through this passage. Revelation 19, beginning in verse 9. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These things are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet and to worship him. And he saith unto me, See that thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness does he judge and make war. In his eyes are as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, clean and white, and out of his mouth go the sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treaded the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God." And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all, The fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Four significant names. And there's more in this passage, but I'll name four significant ones. In verse 11, the faithful and true. Verse 13, the word of God. And verse 16, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus Christ, the Lord and master of the universe. King, of, king over kings and Lord over lords. Here it is that we must understand the utmost importance that you cannot have the king without having his kingdom. You can't have the king without having his kingdom. I want to explain that. So you cannot have the king without accepting his rule. And you cannot have a king without accepting his laws. So now if you'll turn with me to First Samuel chapter 8. We'll look at First Samuel chapter 8, because this is where Israel... Wanted a king. And Samuel had to, had to explain to them that you can't have a king without accepting his rule. You can't have a king without accepting his laws. You can't have a king without his kingdom and being a subject of the king. So he told them, you can't have this king without accepting his reign. First Samuel chapter 8, I want to read verses 8 through, or rather 10 through 22. Beginning verse 10. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. And he said, This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots, and he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties, and will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and his instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be his confectionaries and to be his cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give his officers and his servants and he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work and he will take a tenth of your sheep and he sh- and ye shall be his servants and ye shall cry out in that day because your king which ye have chosen you and the lord will not hear you in that day Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we may, that we also may be like the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Hearken to their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Go ye every man to his city. So, the Lord gave them what they asked for. You can't have a king without his kingdom. So, the story of Saul is a a sad one. And it was the beginning of the kings of Israel. But then, the captivity in Babylon happened. And the, the, the Jews longed for a king of David's lineage that would deliver them ever after that, to restore the kingdom of Israel. And so, this meant, in the days of Jesus then, that they wanted to have a king that would cast off the Roman rule, to get rid of the agenda of Rome. If you care to turn to John chapter 1, I'll read a few verses there, where Jesus is meeting with Nathanael, and Nathanael expresses this sentiment. In verse 48, through 50. Nathaniel's expressing this problem of thought. Nathaniel saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Now here it is. And Nathaniel answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art a son of God. Thou art son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to them, because I said to thee, I saw thee under the fig tree. Believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. So, they're longing for a king to deliver them. And Nathaniel says, aha, here is, uh, here, here's our king of Israel. So what was this? What was the message that Jesus brought? In the book, um, Salvation by Allegiance Alone, this Matthew W. Bates puts it this way. There is only one gospel. And just as Paul's letters, as in Paul's letters, it is the transformative story of how Jesus, who he preexisted as son of God, came to be enthroned as the universal king. Jesus preached this gospel about himself by speaking about and enacting the kingdom of God. And the four gospels all tell the same story, leading our eyes upward to the enthronement of Jesus as the universal king. So I ask the question, what was Jesus' message What was Jesus' gospel? What is the gospel? What is the gospel message? I want to look at a few references that Jesus gave concerning his gospel. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. And now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Jesus' message was the gospel of the kingdom. Well, and so, I understand this to say that this is a parallel The gospel is a parallel with the coming and establishment of the kingdom. The king and his kingdom. He came announcing his kingship and his kingdom. So the good old gospel story is told by Jesus. as That you are a sinner and you need a savior so you can get right with God and go to heaven when you die is a piece of the story. It's not the story. It's a piece of it. Uh, Mark 4, verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Jesus gave his instructions to his disciples to go and to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 10, 6 through 9. But go ye rather to the lost sheep of the houses of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely ye have received, freely give. Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor brass, nor your purses. I want to hasten to say that being born again and being saved are important aspects of the gospel and they are a means of entering the kingdom. But they're not the whole gospel story. Jesus never intended to have salvation preached apart from his kingdom. They're not two separate things. One and the same. The kingdom is such a crucial aspect of the gospel. Now here's a key verse. In Matthew 24, verse 13 and 14. But he he that shall endure to the end, Jesus said, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all the world for a witness to all nations and then shall the end come. Now, is this the gospel that you hear preached across the circles? It's not what I heard. Generally, I heard you find the gospel in Romans and you use the Romans' road. You have the four spiritual laws, and I'm not going to go through them, but... Or you... It's a gospel that saves me. And truly, the gospel does save me. But that's not the end. That's not the ultimate. So I can go to heaven when I die. I find the gospel, the compelling gospel. I find it in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are the gospels that explain the gospel to me. I want to show you why this is compelling in just a little bit. For we cannot have the king of thy. So, what is a kingdom? What is a, now? What is? Let's describe what is a kingdom. What are we talking about here? So let's start with the suffix "dumb." Kingdom. Not dumb isn't stupid by any means. This is dumb. The suffix dumb means the state of, or realm, or jurisdiction. Now can you think of other words that end in dumb? martyr dumb, <laughs> Which is the state of being martyred. Free dumb, which is the state of being free. Wiz dumb, or wise dumb, the state of being wise. dumb. god forbid, the state of being a star. Now I, I thought of a few more and I couldn't quite, like, random. Is that like <laughs> the state of running all over the place, not knowing where you're going <laughs> to land or sell them? I'm not sure I couldn't where I put that together. But hence, a kingdom is the state of the king. The dumb of the king or the realm of the king. The jurisdiction of the king. So, you cannot have the king without his state. You cannot have the king without his jurisdiction. You cannot have the king without his realm. David Brousseau in his book, The Kingdom That Turned the World Upside Down, says this way, that, the, that every kingdom has four components. It has ruler, as a ruler, or rulers. And it has subjects. And that's who we are. And it has a dominion or an area, a jurisdiction, of rulership. And fourthly, it has laws. And God's kingdom is no different. We have those four elements. I won't go farther than that. But however, this, this kingdom, the kingdom of our Lord, is a revolutionary one. It doesn't operate under the same laws as what our kingdoms of this world do. And that's, that's another subject for another sermon, the, the two separate kingdoms. And then this one, just one unique aspect, is that Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight like yours all do. But my kingdom is not from hence. <clears throat> I'll borrow from John Koblenz's book, Journey into Jesus. Where he said, "To seek God's kingdom first means this." These are just some practical aspects. Now, we dedicate our bodies to the king's service, and that's exactly what Samuel told the Israelites. He said, "You're going to want to." He's going to have your bodies. He's going to have your sons and your daughters to serve him. When we think about a life work, we choose and we train according to what will best and serve best serve the king's intentions. We redeem the time, living to be productive, doing the Father's good pleasure rather than making money so we can vacation and retire. We dedicate our material wealth to serve the kingdom. We think more about reflecting the ethic of love in our business dealings than the ethic of thrift and profit. We, excuse me, we look for ways to serve those around us, especially those in need. And when insulted and misused, we look for ways to demonstrate forgiveness and love above ways of bringing about justice. And so, the kingdom, the nature of the kingdom of God is different than earthly kingdoms. John Avery, in his book, The Name Quest, he says this regarding the kingdom. Our age is one of two opposing kingdoms that are engaged in conflict on earth and in the heavens. And this man's not an Anabaptist. I find it fascinating when I find people of non-Anabaptist background that understand two kingdoms. I'll read it again. Our age is one of two opposing kingdoms that are engaged in conflict on earth and in the heavens. Jesus proclaimed that kingdom... The kingdom was at hand, and he commissioned his followers to spread the good news of the kingdom. Satan is hell-bent on retaining his territory for as long as he can. John Avery. And so the kingdom of this world is on a different agenda. In 1 John, we are told, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, that he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And that will of God is found in his kingdom, in his area of jurisdiction. The good news of the kingdom. The good news of kingdom is to be... Um, find my pages here. The good news of the kingdom is, is the realization then the good news of the kingdom is the realization of that kingdom and our pledge to it. Now and I find this to really to be good news and to be compelling. Um, it's not restrictive. Uh, to me, to understand the kingdom and my citizenship in it is to become political. Uh, t- to become a political activist for this kingdom. It's not that I'm, I'm just saved and on my way to heaven and my good works don't matter, but I better do them anyhow for whatever reason because, you know, no. I do it because I am under the jurisdiction of my king and I'm a citizen and I promote his agenda, his political agenda. It becomes my agenda. And I find this compelling. Peter said this way in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, but ye are a chosen generation. Wow. A royal priesthood. And a holy nation, and a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That sounds like citizenship to me. Which in time past were not a people. Okay, didn't have anywhere to belong. But now you're the people of God. With it not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I, beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts that war against your soul. So I find that, that's compelling. And so as I go to Bible school and I teach young people, teach youth, if they're taught a message that, that your good works don't matter, really, but you better do them anyhow, and, and that we're, we're just, we're, 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 just saved. And, 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 and um, they start asking questions like, but why do we have these restrictions now? Why can't we just do what we, you know? Why do we got these add-ons? To me, that's a, that's a shift. There's a, there's a, that's a, that's a different message than being a citizen of God's kingdom and finding this to be a compelling message that I am now, I belong. I belong to this, this domain that that the king reigns over, and I'm his. I like how the Calvary Bible School handbook has a statement of faith there. It says that there, there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of Christ and of his church, and the kingdom of this world. Our primary allegiance is to the kingdom of Christ. We honor civil authorities and pay taxes and pray for our leaders and live obediently and peaceably, and we abstain from political involvement, demanding our rights Welfare and unequal alliances with unbelievers. We practice sacrificial love in our daily lives, as taught and demonstrated by Christ and His apostles. In matters where they are, we are unable to defer to both kingdoms, we choose loyalty to the kingdom of Christ while maintaining our attitudes of honor and respect. And so, our I think this nearly sums up. How we've historically understood the kingdom teaching. And Jesus laid out his teaching, which belongs to us today in his kingdom. That's why I think it's, it's his heresy to think this kingdom is summoned for some future millennial reign. No, he laid out his constitution, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 for me. To me, I find that compelling to know that that's his laws. So that's where he laid it out. You have heard it has been said, but I say it say unto you. When Jesus came, the Romans were in in control. And they were industrious. And they laid out a network of roads. That someday I'd like to see them. I'd like to walk them. They're still there. And it was a network that was used for commerce. And those, that network of roads was, uh, was a vehicle. A vehicle to carry information and to carry, uh, supplies and it was, it was, it was for economics. But it was also used for a lot of debauchery. We've got a vehicle today too. It's called the internet. And it's a vehicle that's used for a lot of commerce. It's used for a lot of debauchery, but it's also used for a lot of good. And if we use that well and right, we can be encouraged or we can be polluted. And if we make our diet of information, I'll hit one, Fox News, conservative one, yeah. We're going to get A deluge of information that I think is gonna taint our view of Christ's kingdom. We're gonna work toward that agenda to try to bring about and to fight evil. I don't think that's Jesus' method. Because it it is stimulating and it's it's drawing. And he could probably he'll probably become a closet Republican. With a shallow view of Jesus' teaching of his followers to love their enemies. It's a news that that those those outlets on this Roman road would like to direct our thinking and our thoughts. And it's so easy. And so we need, I think we need healthy influencers. And this same road that carries all this. Influencing data can also be used to influence you in very healthy ways. There are some, there are some healthy outlets today and men that are working hard. I'll just mention a few to, to influence for positive ways. Anabaptist perspectives, strength to strength, sound faith, just name a few to take a peek at. They're trying to use this same vehicle for the good to promote the kingdom of God. In his realm, and I'm sure you know of others. <clears throat> and so, we need to be careful. And I, uh, every July, it's 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 they're, they're beautiful to watch. Those bombs bursting in air. But you know, as we see those beautiful fireworks shoot off, they're representing something. They're reminders of the bombs that burst in the air that killed thousands of enemies. They look harmless today. America was founded on some Christian principles, but it was not and could not be founded on Jesus' teaching and his kingdom. Well, in conclusion... I want to read to you from Revelation 17, 12, 13, and 14. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom yet, but have received power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And they that are with him shall be called and chosen and faithful.